0: asia tech podcast with graham brown and michael, waits. and michael Waits. good morning this is michael waits from atp stories and i am talking to max ward max is the co-founder and ceo of openport openport i believe digital logis- logistics for asia we'll get to that in a bit but first um i just want to say good morning how are you max
1: yeah doing well uh, just got to uh, philippines good to speak to you
0: yeah so Tell me, why are you in the Philippines? You were saying earlier something about your development. Is, is all of your development based in Cebu?
1: Right. We, we had a small development team in the U.S. Uh, about a year ago. and We moved that to Cebu, and we've been really encouraged by the talent that we're able to recruit here. I think this could be the, the best place in the region uh, to do software, it's something that uh, people should know more about, really exciting.
0: So how, and so how did you find out about it? It's interesting to me, right, in that you know, I've been living in Asia for almost 30 years, and Cebu was really only a vacation destination for the longest period of time. And then one of my friends, this guy named oh. Boe Guy, moved to Cebu, and oh. he just introduced it to me as like this amazing place for software development. So what happened there?
1: Well, our uh, core development team really comes from a product that we, uh, or a company that we acquired to about two years ago um, in the U S there was a company called EF3 systems that specialized in uh, logistics software development um, in uh, for North America. But m- most of that team were actually uh, Filipino Americans. So we looked at scaling the organization and knowing that our market focus was Asia Pacific. We wanted to do as much as possible closest to our customers and the uh, head of engineering, uh, the guy originally from Manila went around scouting different options. Uh, so we looked at Manila in some detail, but everybody was just surprised by how quickly the, the IT park and the, the schools were turning out uh, talent. Uh, I guess especially if you're looking at people with, with limited experience, we really will not want team leaders, which we already had to a certain extent. Uh, it might be harder to find the, the, the talent experience that, larger startup would need but uh, you know we said we looked at cost looked at the available talent pool and also quality of life uh, versus Manila and now as we get more into even some leading-edge topics like blockchain uh, we're just consistently encouraged by the uh, ability to to find what we need in in the Philippines market including in in Cebu
0: yeah I mean that all the stories that I hear about what's happening in the Philippines, and we should say, right, the Philippines is the fifth largest English-speaking language in the world. So having a language in common doesn't hurt either, I presume.
1: It's a big help, and you know, I, I just flew in to Cebu from after a week in India, and uh, you know we do some technology work in India. A lot of our business is there, but you know if you want my my opinion, it's just and a I little do. bit easier to, to communicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Philippines market uh, around the, the topics that we work with. So, I, And now we're looking at uh, Philippines as a core market for our business. So we've got a proof of concept on blockchain going live next week uh, for one of our bigger customers uh, and really getting to the transportation and distribution uh, market in this country uh, as well. So um, some companies like Nestle, they actually have more uh, gross sales is actually larger in Philippines uh, than in India, believe it or not, despite yeah. the population disparity. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, it makes it makes a certain amount of sense, right? It just depends how long and not only, but I guess it's dependent at some level on how long they've been, you know, building and marketing their brands and stuff and their products in each one of those countries. I mean, over time, India will get much bigger, but maybe today the Philippines is just not even close, right? It's just so much larger. Interesting though, I don't think most people would have guessed that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, So for Nestle Philippines, 2.5 billion uh, US a year total sales. India about 1.5 billion with less than tenth the population. So, uh, so a lot of uh, part of that is the history of the brand and how. But I think it's really even more around the, the retail. Industry itself, and how how people purchase uh, food products, uh, where they go, and how they buy them. Uh, India is this amazing conglomeration of almost different eras of the global economy, from you know leading edge Silicon Valley to something that would fit you know better in like medieval Europe. And it's all happening in the same country yeah. uh so it's hard to it's hard to paint India with uh a, a wide brush it's kind of every every state as a country is incredibly diverse um, but you know certainly when we look at you know markets to markets we as open port uh we're actually pretty keen to understand how our customers move those goods from point of distribution to point of sale and how consumers uh, interact with those with those brands uh that kind of takes me into the real reason to start the company it was a couple of years ago was the discussions i was having with uh, fast moving consumer goods giants and their challenges distributing goods to literally billions of consumers in emerging markets so
0: yeah, so let's let's talk about let's, that as well, right? I mean, logistics is something... So you see a lot of logistics companies starting up in in, in Asia, right? I mean, I can yeah, I could probably yeah. name five of them off the top of my head. But a lot of yeah. the people that are starting them really just woke up one day, saw a market gap and said, we, I need to fill this market gap because it's very large. And one of the sort of pain points for most, as you say, whether it's FMCG, um, even offline retail, but online retail for sure is, Once somebody orders something, how do I get it to them, right? And that sort of last mile logistics is difficult, but also more sort of well-known logistics. Getting something from a port to a warehouse is still, you know, not a necessarily super optimized business in the region. But this is not something that you just started looking at a few years ago. In other words, my point was a lot of the entrepreneurs that enter this space are, I would say, less experienced, but they see the market gap as well. But this is not the first time you've been in this market, right?
1: Right, so just to introduce my background a bit to you, I I was you know I got an you know, international uh, MBA uh, early on, and actually went into technology right after that, and spent a little bit of time in Silicon Valley, and I worked in a couple of startups in the really what, what was happening then in Silicon Valley is uh, very similar to what's happening with with blockchain now. In my view, it was just an amazing enthusiasm and. A lot of business models popping up left and right. So, but I got that startup tech thing in my in my blood, so to speak. And then I went into the logistics industry and uh, looking at software products and supply chain visibility tools. And and then converted from a software product side into sales, direct sales for the logistics industry, selling to multinationals, um, actually in Asia about twelve years ago, starting okay. off with DHL. That's kind of a different path. Most uh, logistics sales guys don't have that uh, technology background.
0: Yeah, so, so it's super so, powerful, though. I mean, I sorry to interrupt you, but that's a super yeah. powerful sort of differentiating factor, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted you to bring it up, because most people will sort of approach it from just one direction, but you have both sides of this. I, I know the way this works because I kind of did it in my career as well. You get to a certain point, and you're competing with people, like, you just have other tools and skill sets that they can't develop because you've been working on those for five or six years or longer, and now you go into sales for logistics, you build that, and then the ability to build a tech company around blockchain that handles logistics, it's just, it almost feels like they're outgunned in a way. But I'll, I'll let you say that. But I just thought that that was really interesting from a career perspective.
1: Well, yeah, that's true for myself. I mean, I, I think that the... the, the, the the younger guys that are coming up and and, and doing things in the in the van space or right. single market single market doing things similar to what we're doing, uh, you know I've, I have nothing but the greatest respect for all of them, especially the ones that are that are really getting great traction and, and, and raising tons of money. So what we looked at it was really the the needs of the customers that I knew, which were larger shippers. Uh, I would say probably the world's largest, really. And in order to face off to them and really get into the global HQs and integrate with their back-end systems, which we're doing now, uh, we, I, I felt we really needed to be a multi-market operator. And so what I really saw, having been a, a, a regional guy at Asia-Pacific level for a long time, uh, was a regional opportunity as opposed to the Indonesia opportunity or the China opportunity or the Philippines opportunity. And so I think every uh, early investor uh, challenged me, every advisor, everyone told me, do not do this, Max. Don't spread yourself too thin. I said, yeah, but we've got to get this into the DNA of the company from the beginning, uh, that, and we've got to build like our minimum, our minimum viable product needs to be an Asia-pack minimum viable product and Chinese, Pakistani, Philippine, Indonesian truckers all working on a similar core and a lot of people said that will not work it's too different so I don't want to say it wasn't challenging uh, and it, it certainly took effort, time, capital, but we have built that and demonstrated that now so So the discussion that that we try to have and we're we're having frequently now with uh, multinational uh, corporate shippers and their supply chain departments is that whatever we do in one country, we can extend very easily uh, to another. So we integrate with SAP here, Oracle there. We we, we can leverage that. We can leverage their knowledge about their business and then give them the type of detailed delivery information that they want from any trucker in any of these markets. And then that's a compelling story. Now we put it on on blockchain it gets even better but that's that, that's really how I, I looked at it and it's, it's something like i, I really have a, a passion for fusing technology and logistics and also for uh the region actually I, I love the region i like all the countries and uh it's tough to hop around as i do it takes a toll but it's it's what i i love doing and it's what we as a company uh r- really value and and to we people forward and add value to these these big, big multinationals.
0: Yeah, can I just want to unpack this a little bit because I think you make some really good points, but I just want to go a little bit deeper. You, basically, what you're building is you're building, it sounds to me, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, right, but you're, it sounds like you're building an enterprise tech business but doing it as a startup, and that's a, that's a rarity, I think, right? So most people, like you say, They just want to solve the Jakarta problem for last mile delivery and they start there or they want to start, you know, Ninja vet. I can say the names. You don't have to, but like, you know, I want to solve this sort of delivery thing in Hong Kong where there are extra trucks and, you know, people want to move their piano from their house to their mother's house, little things like that. When you're just saying, look, um, I'm going to pick a company. I don't even know if you deal with them, but Coca-Cola needs to get stuff from India into the Philippines. They're putting it on a ship. And it gets on a truck when it gets there, and I already know what they're doing, but the way that they manage the logistics, whether it's from you know, a startup point or all the way to what the analytics are around how long it takes to do it and how much it costs them to do it, is what they're already doing and what they need, but they just need it to be massively modernized and technologized. And that, to me, sounds like more like what you're doing rather than trying to solve an individual problem. Is is that right. is that fair? In other words, you, it sounds to me like you're trying to modernize the enterprise's ability to deal with logistics, starting in Asia, because I guess well, you, you love the Asian opportunity, which we can talk well, about too. But as opposed to solving a you know a smaller problem of, you know, I can't do one hour delivery in Bangkok.
1: Right. So the yeah the business problem that we're trying to solve is basically as as you said that you have these companies that. Have a gross turnover in the in the billions U.S. dollar per year. You know they spend. You know, let's say the top top three multinational FMCGs uh, would be, you know, around 100 billion a year or more. So then, about 30 to 50 percent of that is emerging Asia, right? So it's not really. U.S. and Europe that are growing in terms of consumer goods sales—it's really the where the people are.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so th- <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, several billion people uh, buy more uh, deodorant, shampoo, soap, and bottled water than uh, a few hundred million in, in these mature markets. So, and so there's, there's f- fundamental growth trends around that around the, 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 how the demographics. Uh, the conversion of lo- very low income and low income to more income and in, very households from Pakistan to Philippines having more disposable uh, income for, for for consumption that they really take that more to the supermarket than they do to Prada and, and Nike shops right so so then these manufactured brand owners of high volume fast moving consumer goods see their business fundamentally performing well in emerging uh, Asia with tremendous opportunity. But their distribution supply chain is encumbered by a highly fragmented transportation market with limited information sharing capabilities. So the idea of OpenPort is to take the information about what they need to move around to any trucker and bring it back. And that's a more open model. Uh, it lends itself to being distributed in a different way than the traditional logistics model, which is really a, a closed book model. I quote you a rate and then I subcontract to whatever transporter I can find. And then you use, you, I might give you a system, but you get that system only on my network of transporters. So open port is about opening that up in, in, in a different type of way. And the, the, another key shift, although we're doing more international work in a way where it's basically factory-to-port business in China in India, uh, really selling to logistics companies, actually, who then go off to uh, the Abercrombie's and the Amazons of the world and sell, resell our services, which is an interesting new, new, new business model for us. But it's really, for the Coca-Cola's and the Nestle's, If they're manufacturing carbonated beverages or Maggie noodle cups, instant noodle cups (laughs) in outside of the market where they're selling those products, uh, that's not going to work as a business, right? And it's definitely not going to allow them to compete against local FMCGs. So it's 95, maybe more like 99 plus percent uh, domestic sourcing. Of raw materials, of sugar, of milk, of paper, of plastics, which we might come back to as it relates to sustainability. We we want to get that raw materials supplier to pick up finished goods on the way out for lower costs and a more sustainable supply chain. But then, but then you make it in a factory, and so for for, ch- for chocolates in 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 India, you make them in Pranay in one of two places, one in North India, one in South, and then you distribute it. All over the countries. If you're ever importing some KitKats into India and you're you're losing money on those KitKats, so it really goes through four cycles: raw materials inbound to fact manufacturing, manufacturing to a distribution center, then from distribution center to a distributor or a retailer, which is most of our business uh, around the region today. And then you've got a, a fourth cycle, which is really from a distributor to a Point of sale, really your tertiary business, which is right. really your smaller trucks. So that particular last mile is where the smaller trucks come in, and that's really where some of the, the van guys come in with some interesting solutions. Yeah, they do. We would really go up. Yeah, we we, we would go after everything else, and prim- primarily, and increasingly get into uh, some of the, the port haulage traffic. So that's that's what OpenPort uh, focuses on.
0: So tell me this: Do you see two two questions really? And there's more to talk about, but just immediately, do you see smaller customers coming in and being able to use the platform that you're building? In other words, it sounds like it's purpose built for just really large global institutions that are moving lots of product um, in a non-trivial way. Like you said, from distribution centers, you know, all the way through to to sort of retail. Right, and just sort of managing that entire supply chain until it gets to the last mile where some of the smaller van companies or even motorbike companies are then handling that part of the business. But if that's the case, is there room for sort of mid-tier or even smaller-tier companies to be able to use this? I'm thinking about particular companies that I know, but to be able to use this service as well just to make their businesses way more efficient? Because I presume you're adding like a massive amount of efficiency on top of the platform and then the ability to analyze whether they're actually doing the right thing or not with some analytic tools, right?
1: Right, the the analytics are there, and it it comes back in in a way that uh, these large shippers did not have uh, access to information uh, before. In some markets in Pakistan, for example, we complement use of our own technology with open port source transport by integrating with local truckers GPS uh, systems and give a very large shipper a single dashboard across their supply chain. Mm-hmm. And we integrate that dashboard with SAP. So and we're working now four countries uh, going live with that customer. That's probably the most exciting thing we're doing at the moment. but probably 70, 80% of our revenue at the moment is really with um, three large multinationals. And I would bet 90% or so of our business is with six or seven large companies. So that's really where we've seen the, the traction. You know, a lot of people and investors and so on say, look at those. look at the SME market. That's going to be faster for you to pick up business, uh, and you, you can get cool margins on that, and it just isn't the product that, that, that we built. We wanted to build the product for, for the very big guys, and I would say for, the, for SME shippers, our 2018 product will give them some access to transporters and visibility and ease of use uh, e- that um, should be really really un- unmatched. So for, again, for your, for your big trucks, moving cross country, uh, accessing your know, port haulage, you know, l- large operators, raw materials, uh, primary, secondary distribution, I think we, we would have a good product for everybody. But for the past two years, we've really been focused on getting this visibility, electronic proof of delivery and analytics solution to work for for some really big operators.
0: Right, so your customers are actually the, you keep saying trucking, but these are the hauling companies, right? So you don't, do you work directly with the FMC, FMC FMCG teams, or do you work directly with the haulers themselves, the truckers, the trucking company themselves, or both? You sit in between them?
1: We sit in between. That's our model, is to be a friendly digital intermediary, making life better for both sides. I'd say we're probably 60% selling into the multinational shipper, and... 40% forty percent or so into selling the, to the truckers. Now as our network with the shippers grows and our technology improves, including how we facilitate the payment settlement process to the trucker. Right. The I, I would in the beginning I used to say talking to a trucker was kinda of selling them over a cup of coffee. Now I think I got them in, in a minute or less. So because with, with, with the, new, the new stuff that's coming out. Say it again? Well, yeah, because, because our our payment cycle is is really improving. You've got to understand that there's a real pain in this very large industry around the cash flow. I mean, we started off looking at the visibility problem, but it's really the the, the cash flow which is incredibly encumbered uh, across Asia.
0: Why And why is so that? So partic- well, particularly, it's not so
1: much a problem in... In Hong Kong or, or Singapore Singapores the region where you pick up something, you deliver it, you get a proof of delivery record right. back the next day. But when you're moving cargo across India or across China, then it can take weeks. And as your supply chain grows, you're getting some documents back on time, some documents late, some documents aren't received. And these are the documents that are required not just to pay the truckers, but to really receive payment from retail and distributor customers. So when you talk about Nestle having $2.5 gross turnover in Philippines, a significant percentage of that payment is delayed, disputed, or even doesn't take place because of problems in the paper proof of delivery process
0: so that's the stuff you're putting on the blockchain
1: right and that's where the that's where i'm extremely excited because now with with blockchain we can make that digital delivery record irrefutable
0: well yeah you've just excited me right because now now you have these sort of automated kpi and sort of smart contracts for lack of a better term that as soon as they get executed the money gets moved yeah and you've just created a completely different paradigm for payments and for confirmation of delivery no
1: that is correct. So I think this is going to be completely revolutionary, and the, the reaction just over the past couple of weeks from shippers and, and truckers has been really encouraging. So we're, we're really getting into the core of the business problem. There, there is a lack of visibility to shipments at the enterprise logistics level, and you know, domestic Indonesia, domestic India, across across the region, uh, people think that just because you're spending millions on transport, that you would have the same visibility that you have if you're a consumer shipping with DHL. And it's yeah, not the case. Don't.
0: Yeah, you don't, though. Yeah. And the <laughs> so numbers are so much bigger, so it just means any, a small error is magnified, yeah?
1: Yeah, so how big is that business problem? Well, it's a sizable business problem that people don't know where the stuff is, but ultimately you know, getting them to pay for that if they're a shampoo manufacturer could be tricky. So when we started bundling that in the transportation service, uh, and that certainly allowed us to grow our, our business more more quickly. But it was companies like P and G, I remember, and others that came back to us and said, you know, Max, this is interesting on this visibility stuff, but can you make this proof of delivery more detailed? Right. Nice. And because we ultimately we want a digital document that we can put in front of our distributor when there's a dispute. And We want to, you know, get a digital signature from them. We're open to ideas on how we can incorporate this digital process into our distribution supply chain. And if you can help us to solve that problem, that's so much bigger than even saving us 10% on the trucking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So because this this brings up a completely – and I don't think people understand this even by the name, right? So open port sounds Mm -hmm. like someone – which is why I asked the question. It's going to sit between – the people that are shipping the product, which you're going to yeah. call the shippers, and the haulers, which is going to be the trucking companies, and that's great, and that's a big business, right? But yeah. what if you're solving this digital signature problem, but also this brings up two other concepts that you haven't mentioned, right? Fraud and counterfeiting, right? So you, yeah. like you said, if I order something from an online retailer and DHL is shipping it to me, I kind of know where that product is at all times, and when it finally gets yeah. me, I know I'm getting what I ordered, I'd say 90-something percent of the time. But the supply chain, I think, if my research is right, is riddled with fraud and counterfeit to the extent that, you know, you mentioned shampoo. It's just stuck in my head. But that means that even the shampoo that gets shipped to a supermarket may not be the shampoo that was originally shipped along the way because there's no way to track it once it leaves a factory. So if you can fix that. Yeah, I
1: mean, counterfeiting in in, in, in fast-moving consumer goods is kind of an interesting topic. Because people, you would not think no. that someone would someone would go to the effort to manufacture uh, counterfeit shampoo and inject it into a retail supply chain, but it but happens. They, but they do, and but they, they, they do. Yeah, so, they do. So, what you really want to know is, is so was was this one hundred and fifty thousand U.S. dollars of shampoo, or the two hundred and sixty thousand U.S. dollars, local currency equivalent worth of, of chocolates? Was it confirmed, received at this retail location by the company that ordered it? Did they get all of it? For our wine customer in Shanghai, if they had a 10-case order of wine for a restaurant in Shanghai and one case was Lafitte and nine cases were Yellowtail, (laughs) the driver picks up 10 cases, one case got dropped in the delivery cycle – did you damage the Lafitte or the Yellowtail? We need to know that as quickly as possible in order to uh, service our customer and to obtain settlement because a customer may say it was the Lafitte that got damaged and not the Yellowtail. So that kind of dispute uh, affects a significant percentage of all business. So if you take maybe 2% of top line for these companies, you're really quickly getting into a business problem it's in the hundreds of billions of US dollar a year across the, the Asia region because what you're talking about really is fundamentally how goods are passed from brand owners and manufacturers right. to retailers and consumers and consumers yeah so retail yeah so retail so consumption is about 40-50% of any economies gdp you know so if you're looking at about a 6 trillion 6 to 7 trillion US dollar retail market in, in Asia uh, you know over a trillion on that is really impacted by this this business problem so most of the transportation on business to business enterprise supply chain distribution is outsourced some of it's done with own fleets and more static markets like Korea or Hong Kong or, or Singapore but in dynamic fast-growing markets you're going out you're finding companies that have 10 trucks 20 trucks 50 trucks they can distribute my products in Lucknow, Uttar Pradesh, or in Karachi, or, or in uh, Surabaya. And those companies might have pretty decent capabilities. And a lot of times, they're more sophisticated logistics providers than, than people think. But they don't have the ability to integrate in with SAP and give you a real-time, detailed delivery record. Right. So we can do that. And that, that simple process... Is what drives cash settlement from retailer to brand owner and from brand owner to transporter so the transporters are bearing a significant risk when they work with these larger organization particularly if they go through intermediaries they experience up to six months uh, delayed payment in many cases and that uh, risk of non-payment or High risk of delayed payment means that the transporters are reluctant to enter into business agreements with the largest shippers uh, in the world. And that means that those large shippers have reduced capacity uh, compared to their growing need to ship and distribute products around the region. Uh, They know this, they're working on various different systems and processes to solve that problem but OpenPort comes in and says here's an easy way to come in and work with any trucker get everything that you need in terms of what got delivered and we're going to give you back an irrefutable electronic proof of delivery and uh, we just need you to buy a token so so that's the, kind of the, the next step so so I, also what happens is a lot of times the customer will say you know what well, got the three-year contract with this these truckers in North Pakistan, or I, I want you to do Bangladesh for us with the system, and we don't have, uh, you know, as Open Board, we, doesn't have a network in Bangladesh, so can I just get the system on its own? Right. So then it's just a very simple sort of a SaaS model where we go out and, and you get the analytics, you get the electronic proof of delivery, right. and that works for us as well. So we're really selling two things to our customers. You've got a digital transport product you know, where the technology is bundled in with the transportation rate. Uh, we help the transporter to get paid faster, they're able; Therefore, we're able to be cost competitive as we come in and submit our offer. And then you've got a, a digital solution that scales across multiple countries uh, very quickly.
0: So can I ask you this? What have you seen? I mean, there must be multiple reactions, right? But when you go to the, the haulers and say, we can get a digital proof of delivery and, and receipt, and then we can, what is it, sort of minimize the payment time and also minimize your payment, your ability to receive payment risk. Like they must love that yeah. part of the product, no? And have you seen they the cycle change? That. Have you seen the cycle change yeah. in the sense that, you know, you said that there was a six-month potential and maybe no payment, but but maybe a six-month payment cash flow. Cash flow is really important for businesses of these sizes, right? Because what they end up having to do then is borrow against their pay, you know, account receivables. And then that's a cost to them too, right? In other words, if they have a million dollars of account receivables coming, but it's coming in six months, they have to borrow a million dollars to cover cash flow problems, they're paying a percentage on top of that, and that just eliminates some of their profit or maybe all their profit. But if you're saying you can use technology, not just for them to track their goods, but to digitally confirm that those goods have been received, and then, then ensure that the payment happens, but also ensure that the payment happens more quickly, this is a paradigm change for the way they're running their business, no?
1: Right. So the small and medium-sized transporters uh, seem to be teetering on the edge of uh, Bankruptcy. Uh, every time I, I talk to them, yeah, constantly. Or, or at, least right? it, at least it sounds that way. And, and and actually, in many markets, they end up uh, exiting the market and going into liquidation, um, very very frequently. So it, it's a it's an extreme, very almost existential uh, threat to them. Them cash, cash and fuel costs and labor deviations, but but certainly cash payment from these big guys. They'd love to have the volume and the yield contribution from these big shippers, but they're very worried about getting paid on time, particularly if they work through an intermediary, and because they're a small and medium sized transporter, they don't have a enterprise sales force that gets in and can speak the language of the of the Unilever's of the world, right, that's right, where right. we as open Openport, even though we're, we're a startup, we've got some, some skills and experience around that. With well, because you've done our, that our your own career, yeah. yeah. Right, So so I think it's really about Fine-tuning the execution around how we solve that that business problem. So in the beginning, we were trying to solve it with a, kind of an online marketplace. And you go in, and and some challenges with that are that the shippers are usually contracting through 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 tenders. Uh, they have spot bids, but they need I an mean, extremely quick reaction time around those spot bids. And and ultimately, you know, the entity that comes in and uh, they and that they interface with needs to have all the local licensing, run logistics at enterprise levels. We, we had to go and get that. And in places like Indonesia, it was a bit more challenging uh, than places like India and Pakistan. So what done, so once we had all the licensing come in, basically act as a transporter, basically on behalf of the actual transporters, <clears throat> we were able to come in and get, get some good growth uh, going with these fast moving consumer goods guys. But now we can come in and prove the story that we were telling originally, because we've got this SAP working and we can't SP integration working. So the point when we submit an electronic proof of delivery and an electronic freight invoice back to the finance teams of the multinational shipper, everything should reconcile perfectly. And now the blockchain solution is even better, even more irrefutable and allows us to drive the e- even faster payment reconciliation. Uh, so we all, we're paying uh, truckers in the Philippines now with uh, Bitcoin.
0: <clears throat> and are they happy to get, so this was gonna be the other question, right? How, how, first of all, how long did it take yeah. to build the, the blockchain um, solution? And are you building it on sort of the legacy blockchain? Are you building it on your own blockchain? Are you building it on Ethereum? Like how did, you, and how did you decide where to do this?
1: Right, so that's coming coming in phases. So the 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 core product and transport management system that we have built up over the past couple of years, you know, that one's got a basic smart contract set up already. Uh, you know, writing to general Hyperledger as shipments are picked up and, and moved across the country, uh, that's not too too difficult, right? I mean no. let's be honest, I think even a big three PL could could do that tomorrow. So now then we go into a, a digital payment process with established cryptocurrencies, first in the Philippines, which is very crypto-friendly. Yep. Uh, so, so we'll learn learn from this proof of concept. Already some, there's some interesting things that are coming out of it. But the, the appetite is really significant on, in places like India, where I was, I was just at a blockchain conference and meeting truckers and shippers at, at a separate event. And there, there's so much enthusiasm for this. So we're just racing to get this up and running and, and ready in and, for, for, the, for the Indian market and then extend it really country by country uh, Q,
0: Q1 so what's so the re- I would
1: say it's, it's different phases yeah
0: yep. well what's the reaction sorry because there's so much volatility like if you pay somebody in dollars versus pesos let's just use the Philippines as an example right I haven't looked at the FX charts recently but I don't get the sense that there's as much volatility in the peso USD market as there is in the Bitcoin market right whether it's Bitcoin right. to to other tokens or just Bitcoin itself to US dollars so are the truckers that you're paying in bitcoins, which is awesome as far as I'm concerned, are, do they understand the volatility trade into which they're entering? And are they okay with it as well?
1: Yeah. So there's two types of users on the transporter side. The first one would be the management of the transportation company, somebody that owns, say, 50 trucks in outside Manila. And wants to work with Nestle, right? Yep. Then you've got the actual truck driver, right? Right. The person so, sitting
0: in the vehicle actually doing the driving. Yes. Yeah.
1: And these those two entities may be, you know, I guess disparate. You know, yeah, could be somewhat dis disconnected. In fact, when you get into South Asia, they're almost certain to be separate. Uh, economic actors, right. basically, meaning that, that the transporter transportation company, they have their own assets, they have their own drivers, but you get competitive rates, they're going out into the market and getting whatever is available uh, you know, through legacy manual freight brokers, and they're getting people that really own one or two heavy trucks. And- Getting those guys to use our technology has been a challenge because you don't know who they are. They're just appearing, you know, maybe six hours before a booking right. is, is confirmed. And there's not a lot of time to train them on how to use an app. They're all over the country. How do you get that? So now we have, I think, a fantastic solution to solve this problem. So we will pay the transporter. Basically, once the conditions of the smart contract are fulfilled with a open port token, more or less the next day. And, we, you know, we will do this with our own token supply. And then this will be supported through a network of private exchanges.
0: Wait a second. So have, of you, have you already created this token?
1: Uh, no. We're building the the, the, the token now. So.
0: so does that mean you're doing an ICO as well around the token tokenization of this business?
1: Yes, yeah, so we're, we'll have a date and more, more details around that soon, but uh, we're working on, on that. And the, the reason we're doing the ICO is to give us the, the supply of tokens to do exactly what I'm, I'm going to describe. And th- this is really going to be fantastic. So, so then not only will we convert the, the payment to the, the transporter uh, next day and, yeah, put this, the irrefutable EPOD in the hands of the shipper, we will also implement the micro reward scheme for the drivers. We've been I thinking for a long time about how to solve this this problem of getting drivers to use the technology when they're coming in from this general market. So we, with with tokens and uh, you know a crypto uh, payment mechanism, we can uh, accum- allow these these token rewards to accumulate on key steps around the work process, uh, confirming availability of an asset, uh, picking up a shipment, making sure the phone is on, so the tracking functionality is working, uh, a larger reward for a electronic proof of delivery, a larger reward for utilizing the system correctly to identify reconciliation on a damaged item, uh, you know, the Lafitte versus yellowtail example, for example, uh, confirming delivery and making sure that they're available for the next movement. And large shippers would prefer that the incentive schemes to drivers uh, work along these, these lines. So I had some discussions with uh, large multinationals, and this is a model that works for them because they want to have a discrete and transparent procurement decision with the transportation companies with whom they're working that can go through an intermediary and a digital intermediary such as ourselves. But they don't want extra payments and extra activity running around in the in the economy. But a uh, a token reward system really works for all parties, and it uh, simply allows the, the ecosystem to work in, in a better way. So with this model, I think mean, we can really solve all the big business problems in the ecosystem and solve them in a pretty unique way. So
0: yeah, I mean, no I, just, it's, I just I yeah. just had a holy, you know, what the next word is moment, right? Because if yeah. you are If you're taking micro payments and building them into a tokenization, right? So it's like it's blockchain verified, unless I'm misunderstanding what you're saying, right? Is you're creating a micro reward system that uses the tokenization that you're creating through your own ICO when that happens, right? And I'm just making this up. So you just tell me if I'm (laughs) wrong, right? But what it does is uh, as every step along the process is then confirmed digitally, there's a reward that goes to the actor in that sort of activity so that they have an incentive then not to create fraud, not to create, you know, take counterfeit goods because the, um, what's the word, the confirmation that they're actually doing each one of those micro steps gives them a reward. So there's an incentive along the way and then at the end they get, I guess, the full payment. This is a really interesting use of the tokenization of those activities as as a reward system, no?
1: Yes, and I think the way in which all of these actions connect back to a consensus-driven protocol is 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 really important. So that's why people talk about how powerful blockchain is for the logistics industry. And you know, I've got to be honest. You know, I I have a lot of digital background. I have a lot of logistics background. I, I got the concepts. But now I'm starting to get the real detail on how exciting this is. Yeah. So I think that what we need is a protocol that works for this specific industry. So if you just take Bitcoin, you just take Ethereum, and you start to apply it against a, a general a, a transport management system with uh, mobile apps, That's not actually going to work. What you need to actually do is is make sure that the protocol and the the handshakes in the cycle must work for, for the truckers, for the drivers also, for the big shippers and other intermediaries in the cycle. So when you look at international supply chain problems, including looking at automating or improving the letter of credit process, which is kind of a 1,000 years old or whatever, yep. Yep. Um, then that's kind of, to me, that still sounds pretty hard. When you're looking at putting a truck pickup from Lucknow, India, in a few cases of ketchup bottles, some Maggie noodles, and Kit Kats, trucker picks it up, driver might be a different entity, but we can identify and control and track that. They deliver to a distributor, distributor confirms receipt, Uh, We can really monitor all the handshakes in that process, a simple domestic truck move, and we put that on the blockchain and then automate the payment process and all all the things that need to happen around that, make it a lot better for all parties. And that's putting together the the first steps in a functional logistics protocol. So I've been spending time at blockchain conferences, and I'm excited about this as, as anybody but a lot of the companies out there have fantastic ideas. And one of the things that Openport has, I think, gained over the past couple of years is an understanding of how these digital concepts need to be incorporated into the real world right. of trucking across Asia. And taking let's take that best technology that we can, but let's, let's make it real and let's make it work for the shippers and the truckers and, and the key participants in the ecosystem. And... And so we've got a you know a good book of business now across the country that we can put on this this blockchain model, and it's going to have to be put on in, in phases because one of the things that, that we've learned is uh, it's kind of a ramp versus spear, if you will. Uh, you can go into a big company and say, hey, we can make your supply chain digital. You know, realistically, making everything digital tomorrow on Wednesday uh, isn't the right way to no. do it. We no. might want to run a lot of things, or maybe everything, in parallel. And when people are ready to get rid of the Excel spreadsheets and the uh, emails at 2 a.m. with the bookings <laughs> and the scan copy <laughs> and the, the scan copies and uh, uh, then you, you, while well, you've got a system, then it just goes away. Uh, so running running in parallel is, is a good way to work with large enterprise supply chains and accommodate, just make everybody happy or as close to it as as you can. And what so do you that's, call it? That's he our said, model. You
0: yeah. call that ramp versus what? Versus.
1: Stare, so you know, yeah, that's just it. kind of a, a yeah, no, term we, we came up with. But uh, yeah, like just, let's make it easy for our customers and let's just improve things over time. And I think the opportunities, then you're looking at, you, you've got an enterprise which is trading, you know, Wanda to 2 or, or more billion US dollars a year in a particular market that's part of a, a company that's maybe selling over 10 billion a year across Asia. And then we can come in, we're going to, take a couple percent out of that and bring that to your bottom line much faster. That's not going to be in DSO or accounts receivable or or disputes, because you're going to be able to come back and say, you've got an irrefutable POD, and we're going to make your logistics a little bit more efficient. You know, we can't save you 50% of your trucking costs, but we can save you maybe 5%, 10%, and improve your utilization of inventory and customer service, how how you're able to, to just the basics, you know, know where your stuff is, and and that's that's going to be valuable for you as well. And then that's the story that we take to big multinational shippers. And for the truckers, we basically say, "This is how we're going to make sure you get paid you get very paid. quickly. Yeah. You get paid. And now we, we pretty much got them at hello there. And then, <laughs> right. we say, well, but we got these market hired drivers. We're using. They're not going to be able to use technology. And now let me tell you about how we're going to make life wonderful for this guy who owns two trucks
0: two trucks right because that guy's been str- yeah. not struggling but boy he's been running around like crazy for years
1: yeah this is this is an, an amazing thing so in particularly in south asia really china indonesia philippines also and South Asia, this is the way small communities and families uh, augment their income is they have they they'll save up money and then they'll buy a, a big truck. truck yep these, these are the really colorful trucks actually you see on the road sometime in india and Yep. In Pakistan, and in Thailand, painted, yep. and yeah, and Thailand too. So the reason that they have invested so much, you know, more than that, I never saw a, a amazing looking truck like that in the states, right? You know, nope. the U.S. U.S. trucks look pretty boring compared to your South just trucks. But they're investing so much effort in the graphical design and the imagery and making these trucks look amazing this is the livelihood for a small household and yeah. sometimes it's a group of households in a in a in a village or in a community. So then now you they just need to get a smartphone. Now two years ago everybody thought I was crazy. Absolutely. They say you are off your rocker mask to think that truckers and Malays and Indonesians are gonna get smartphones. Now everybody's like, okay, truckers are gonna
0: have a smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> but see so, you, you are, I so, mean you are crazy, but you weren't wrong, right?
1: Yeah, I, I was wrong, but you, you see that trend, and it's just getting easier. So so do they always have a high-quality smartphone, Android, with yes. data connection? Yes. No, they don't. So we're going to give them the encouragement to have that, and with the micro-reward system. And this, you know, we were at, I was at a uh, conference I just came from in uh, Vizag, first time in Vizag, Eastern India, uh, put together by the government of Andhra Pradesh. And... They had blockchain experts flowing in from all over the world to support this. And Andhra Pradesh is putting local real estate deeds on the blockchain. They are doing moving to cashless payments left and right, and they're they got their pharma industry they're building up. It'll be blockchain related, so they love this stuff, and then the government's getting behind it. So you have got really a method of rewarding the small owner operators for participating in a relatively complex uh, supply chain ecosystem and doing something that is critical to allowing that ecosystem to work properly which is confirming exactly what they delivered right not you know not it's not not rocket science no. in terms of the, the the business goals here you've got to confirm what confirm exactly what you delivered, was it the right stuff, and confirm that as soon as possible so that everything else, the payment, the settlement, the customer service, the reconciliation cannot be held up for weeks like it is now. Right. And and that that's a big deal. So that, that's what we're just completely focused on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say after that. <laughs> So can I ask you this? So you, you did raise some money, right? I mean, I noticed that there was an entry for OpenPort on Crunchbase. Was that? I I don't remember exactly when that yeah, was. I mean, I can so look we, at it really uh, quickly, but
1: we, we've raised uh, you know several million uh, U.S. dollars. So that was really our our a uh, funding. So we had some seed, and we had uh, uh, Gabriel Fong, who was was big behind GogoVan. Uh, He's helped us in, in in many ways. Who it was the that? first non? Sorry, who was that? I was getting uh, uh, Gabriel Fong. Yep. So, yeah, he was chairman of, of GoGoVan Van for a while, and he he's been very helpful. We've had uh, three funds uh, come in and, and help us out along the way, and you know now we're looking at, at the ICO path, and that opens up a lot of, of opportunities. So what I want to do is I want to really really scale this company uh, big time, and really look at building the first functional protocol for the logistics industry, and getting adoption on technology means you have to be. Almost have a, a a religious type. I was going to say of, religious
0: of, fervor of, is the is the is yeah, the, the words that came into my mind before you said it. By yeah. the way,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah religious uh, fervor. Uh, it was one guy, uh, uh, CEO of a, of a company, was talking to me about zealotry. So if, <laughs> if, if zealotry, if it's zealotry around real significant business problems and, <laughs> and constantly trying to solve those business problems on flow, then then that's pretty good. That's that's the right type of enthusiasm that you need to have and. So that means that we got to take people that know logistics and we got they will they're hardwired to sell the way they've been selling you know for 10 15 years right so we, there's an interesting talent pool that we've got to go after these 30 or 35 I mean that doesn't mean that somebody that's 45 can't be a great contributor for us or somebody that's 26 can't be a great contributor for us because we, that, that does happen. Yep. But there's a particular type of skill set. I, I don't think it doesn't matter what country they're from. And, and we're, we're, we're so big now into diversity in our, in our values. And, and now I've been kind of running a, a company for a while. I get why a lot of this stuff people talk about is really key. <laughs> so, you it, know, it matters. Yeah, you think it's blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, oh, this is so important. It matters. So part of, part of our values is, you know, our values are around openness Around entrepreneurial, and now we, we really have some teeth around these buzzwords in terms of what that really means, right? right. What right. people that are real contributors to our company, what well, what is the behavior that the things you exhibit, not just inside our organization, but with our customers? And I think uh, passion for customers, but you know this uh, zealotry for for, uh, for finding the the biz- the solution to the to the big business problems, because third-party logistics companies don't. Think, which I was—I was sales for third-party logistics companies for over a decade, you know, several of them—and you just don't think about your customers' core cash flow, right? It might be out there, but it's not at your core. So for Open, we've got to go in and say, "No, how do we improve your cash flow from your retail and your customers to you and speed up that cash flow?" to the transporter at the same time that we give you great visibility and an irrefutable record of what got picked up and delivered uh, with superior analytics and all that. And, and so then we've got to, people have to change their behavior and they, they've got to really come in and just keep coming back. And, you know, Six Sigma and Lean are, are great models around this. I and mean, you just keep asking why, keep asking why. And so, so th- these are some of the things that are tough to do, but we, uh, I think, we just got to make the the best product and then put the best service around it, and and then uh, and that that's what business is is all about.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just nailed the ending of this conversation. <laughs> I have so many more things to say, but I, I would make a suggestion actually when we hang up that we continue this conversation, and I'll I'll tell you why later. But Max, I cannot thank you enough for this. Has been just fascinating, like really zealotry style fascinating for me yeah. to learn about not just open port, but all the things you're doing. I mean, you, you talk about this. I just want to say one more thing, right? This whole concept of building diversity and, and the the real impact that it has on building a business, but you said this before, right? If you can put a smartphone in the hand of a trucker who owns two trucks, who's potentially not just running a business for himself, but for a group of families in a town or in a village, and that's not a pejorative term, but you if you also can impact... Their cash flow, not just the cash flow of the three pls, but down at the lower level of the actual trucker, what you've then basically done is given the opportunity for his daughter. I know it sounds like far-fetched, but I believe this for his daughter to get a better education, to become like a, you know, computer programmer, and then to change like the whole cycle of that village and that family and that accumulation of families' lives, and that's amazing. On top of all of the business processes you know and the use of the blockchain to make that entire process for the fmcgs for the shippers and for the truckers better like that it drops down into like a real amazing change for the last part of that which is the truckers that are actually doing this and and yeah that that's amazing sorry
1: yeah it it's great and it's so a way we, we can really feel good about ourselves uh, as as we're as we're building this this business uh, i think when you talk about taking out intermediaries and bringing in transparency uh, between the the real actors, guys that are really operating uh, the the delivery process, and the company that really needs that service, uh, that's exactly the the ultimate value that right. you're delivering. Uh, it is, so sometimes you you step away from the, from the buzzwords into what that really means, and and that's that's powerful and, and exciting. And I I am a believer in that. And, and then the other thing I'm a, a believer in is is in that. That, that regional uh, approach. So, so we've got the, the Pakistanis and the Indians in our company working together uh, very well across borders. Right, the, right, with right. The, with, the, with the Filipinos and the Chinese, yep. some Chinese guys and the Hong Kong guys. And and I've uh, been in Hong Kong for so long, quite friendly. Hong Kong and, and mainland Chinese people don't work well enough together, but they do in in, this, in our company. And uh, and then you got Indonesia, you know, Malaysia. So, you know, we just you know frame our are the way of working and our our uh, values and approach around solving those things and getting everybody on the same team, and that's that, that's a good thing. That's something we can feel good about uh, as, as well. Okay. So,
0: yeah, I mean, let's let's end there because it's. <laughs> I've had two conversations this morning that have been so optimistic, and I'm an optimist by uh, by birth anyway. But that's really fascinating. Look, yeah. Max, you know, CEO, co-founder of OpenPort, among other fascinating things. I really want to thank you for your time this morning. Um, if you, if people haven't heard about this company yet, you'll definitely hear about it and also just should be able to support the stuff that they're trying to accomplish, not just from a business perspective, but also from, you know, an international perspective. I think this has been a really fascinating conversation. Thank you so much.
1: You're great. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Asia tech podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.